Hello, 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 and thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. I'm Richard Lanford. I am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois, a near north suburb to Chicago, a city in which my wife and I live. But I get to serve the church in Skokie, and it's my pleasure and privilege to do this and to do this podcast with the help of Laura Olson and our lector, of course, whoever that is, they vary from Sunday to Sunday. This particular sermon was preached on July, excuse me, June 11th, 2023, and I followed the lectionary and the scriptures just screamed, you have to preach about faith because we have Abram and Sarah, particularly Abram in Genesis 12, acting in faith in God's promises. We have several people uh, responding to Jesus in faith in the gospel lesson. And so I lift up different aspects of faith and Jesus, both in this message. So I hope you'll be blessed by it. And I'm going to turn it over to our lector, Judy Page, who brings us the scriptures that I just described. Here we go. some great passages to listen to this morning. The one from Genesis is foundational to the Jewish faith and our faith and to anyone interested in plumbing the depth of what faith is. To get as prepared as we can for listening on short notice, please join me in the spirit of prayer in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Word of God and life, send your spirit upon us as we hear the scriptures this morning. Make your words come alive for us. Then fed by your word and spirit, we can really live the ways you intend for us to live. We lift up this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our first reading is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Abram and his family currently live in a place called Haran by Ur of the Chaldees. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran. And they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. 
So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. This ends the reading from Genesis. Our second and final reading is also the Gospel passage for the second Sunday of Pentecost. It is Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, and then verses 18 through 26. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years came up behind him, and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got, girl got up. And the report of this spread throughout that district. Here ends the reading of the Gospel and our scriptures for this morning's service. May God bless us with a joyful and profound understanding of this, the Word of God for the people of God. The title of the sermon, by the way, which came to me while Laura was gone so we couldn't get it into the bulletin, is Amazing Faith. And it, it's really hard not to start off by like singing Amazing Grace, but putting in the word faith. But I'm not going to do that. Amazing Faith. Stunning Faith. Life-changing Faith. World-changing Faith. These adjectives describe the faith of Abram in our Genesis reading. His faith did change his life. And eventually, as the father of Israel and the father of those to whom God reckons as righteous because of their faith, his faith changed the world. Now, if we know his story well, we, all, we know that his faith and his conduct were not always commendable or strong. Nobody's perfect, including Abram and Sarai. So when you and I talk about our faith, and our faith struggles and doubts, we can take some solace that even the great Abraham's faith wavered and questioned God. 
But you know, that's not really what I want to share with you this morning. I want to talk positively about faith, Abram's faith, that of the woman with the hemorrhage, and the leader whose child was dying, and Matthew's and ours. Now, I often try to preach scripture as it relates to current events or concerns of our time. This is no different, since as people of faith, our faith is always, we hope, a current event, or something we bring with which to approach these concerns and the world in which we live. Yes, as Paul wrote, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. But faith is among the big three and ought not to be ignored. And our passages give a great opportunity to lift it up and expound on it. So Abram's faith takes him to risky places. He has no map. He has no goal, per se. God's promise, which he believed, is future-oriented. He has family with him. He's in his country, and he's got his property with him. To respond to God's call to go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, is a very tall order, especially when the promises are not something he and Sarah will get to see fulfilled, other than Isaac, who is essential. Now, Walter Brueggemann's commentary on Genesis is, it, it helped me come closer to realizing the depth of Abram and Sarah's situation, their context, and that context really makes Abram's faith even more profound. He directs us to Sarah's barrenness in her old age, as well as their settled situation, which was just that, settled. Hopelessness was woven into their situation with no heir. That was a much bigger deal then than we might think of it today. Nephew Lot was their closest junior relative. Yet we know what God promised in that barren landscape. As Abram received God's promises in faith and obeyed God's command in the same pilgrim faith, their journey away from barrenness, their journey away from stuckness began. I use the word stuckness after having read it in a Chicago Tribune review of the finale of the TV show Ted Lasso. Ted Anthony of the Associated Press wrote in this review of the finale, Ted Lasso has been a Whitman's sampler of pandemic-era stuckness with a message that, whether it was delivered with a subtle glance or a giant narrative mallet, couldn't help but resonate in a post-pandemic landscape. The moments that have trapped you don't have to last forever. The Ted um, Anthony then goes on character by character to show how they have been stuck or, quote, trapped in the amber of their own circumstances or choices, admitting that there might be one who arguably was not stuck, and that was Leslie Higgins. By the way, I have never seen the show, but perhaps for some of us, stuckness might be a way to relate just a little to barrenness, simply not to the degree of Sarah and Abraham. 
So going back to God's promises and how they played out because of the faith of Abraham and Sarah, Brueggemann said, the marvel of biblical faith is that barrenness is the arena of God's life-giving action. After Sarah, Rebecca, chapter 25, verse 21, Rachel, verse, chapter 29, verse 31, and Hannah, 1 Samuel 1, verse 2, were barren. So also was Israel in exile. He references Isaiah. A proper hearing of the Abram Sarai text depends on the vitality of the metaphor of barrenness. It announces that this family begins its life in a situation of seemingly irreparable hopelessness. Then came Genesis 12. God summons them. Dr. Brueggemann said, notice, the summons is not to law or discipline, but promise. The narrative knows that such departure is the only way out of barrenness. The whole of the Abrahamic narrative, Brueggemann wrote, is premised on this seeming contradiction. To stay in safety is to remain barren. To leave in risk is to have hope, end quote. Faith responded to the summons to a new life out of hopelessness, and if faith had not provoked this historic leave-taking and journey-making, there would have been no new life or fulfillment of the promises God offered. To stay in safety is to remain barren. To leave in risk is to have hope. Faith and trust take risks in order to follow God's call. Now that's often a current event or way to look at what's going on around us and inside us, don't you think? Follow God's call is a way to bring life, where right now we're not, we may not be in life. The metaphor of barrenness gives way to that of journey. In this case, it is a radical one for Brahm and Sarah. It is a challenge, Brueggemann wrote, it's a challenge to the dominant ideologies of our time, and I would say almost every time, which yearn for settlement, security, and placement. Now, I relate to that dominant ideology more than I care to admit. But when God calls you or me to leave that behind, like Abram and Sarah did, we can see it as a new road of hope and life after all. Speaking personally, I wouldn't call it barren, but when I was called to serve a church in Chicago where I'd never been, and all my friends and family, with one exception, were saying, stay in Minnesota, because I had a possibility of a call there. What life I've had since coming here. Anyway. Barrenness, stuckness, hopelessness unto death are left behind, forsaken. They're left behind and forsaken for a higher calling. It was a radical faith journey for them, yet in the end, it led to freedom and life. It was a journey that brought life, and not just Isaac and not just Israel. It was a journey undertaken in faith. You'll remember one of the key promises of God was that in you, Abram, Sarah, and your offspring, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
Their departure from hopelessness, which God ordered, did indeed bless all the families of the earth. From their offspring 2,000 years later came Jesus. What that tells me is the good news. That when you, I, or St. Peter's senses a call from God to go on a journey far from our comfort zone, the result could be great blessings unto others whom we never will get to meet. The scariness we take on in our journey of faith can really make a difference in many other people's lives. Last week was the 79th anniversary of D-Day. Western Europe and North America remain mostly free in due in large part to those courageous men and women of Operation Overlord and what came after. That was not a religious operation, but at some level there was faith in the plan and in the seamen, soldiers, and pilots who carried it out. Just as importantly, and I only recently learned this, houses of worship were open for prayers and vigils set aside for the time of the operation, and President Roosevelt himself led the nation in prayer over the radio. What a great blessing that had been later to life and freedom. We think of the faith of someone like the Reverend William Johnston, who was the first openly gay man to be ordained in the United Church of Christ in 1972. Who knows what kind of stuckness and hostility, even in the United Church of Christ, he had to undergo on his journey, which was a journey of faith which became liberating to so many. I did get to meet him at FaithWorks in the 1990s, by the way. Amazing faith also transformed the life of someone in another kind of lostness, and that was Matthew. He does not get a lot of press in the New Testament as a disciple, but this profiteering collaborator with the oppressive Roman Empire, this tax collector, sees Jesus walking by him. He hears the Lord say, follow me, and at the blink of an eye, he gets up and follows Jesus. He does not know where he's going. Matthew does not know that the journey of Jesus and the others will lead to a cross and resurrection. He knows less than Abram and Sarah did when they were called, yet he followed in a blink of an eye and never left the circle of the called. As a tax collector among the disciples who also counted Simon the Zealot, an anti-empire activist, among their small number, Matthew and Simon the Zealot were key figures in showing the inclusiveness of God's Jesus' reach for disciples. He wanted people from all walks of life and life experiences and even who were enemies of each other or thought they were. Amazing faith, which although often challenging to receive and live out at God's beckoning, was also present in the woman who touched the hem of Christ's robe in search of and desperate search of healing. Matthew even gave words to her inner conversation of faith. Then suddenly, a woman who had been suffering for hemorrhage, for hemorrhages, from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him 
and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she had said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. She had faith and chose to pursue life. And we heard Judy read, Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. The healing, let us note, happened when Jesus spoke the word. Twelve years of suffering. All that money spent on doctors, other gospels say. Talk about hopelessness and barrenness by faith becoming an arena from which comes life. Not only this woman, not only Matthew, but the synagogue leader who knelt before Jesus saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Clearly, this man and his family were in a terrible, grief-stricken spot, but not so hopeless that the father does not bother going to Jesus. No, he does bother going to Jesus. He believed in Christ's ability to bring her back even if she really was dead. His actual journey of faith took him to Jesus, and Jesus responded with action. The woman with the hemorrhage intervened on his trip, but it was no deterrent, but an extra blessing from the man's plea. Frederick Bruner wrote of the father, to say dead, but, which he did say, to say dead, but, requires extraordinary confidence. The man does not believe Jesus is helpless before the last and most intractable human problem. The father had faith. I've preached on a version of this story before, and what always spoke and speaks to me is that Jesus would not allow the unbelievers, the persons who laughed at him, when he said, she's not dead but sleeping, and they laughed at Jesus. He said, well, you're staying outside. <laughs> I don't need your unfaith where I'm going to do this. Bruner added, as often as possible, Jesus wants healing to be unpublic. Here, as elsewhere, then, Jesus asks for unbelief to leave, and he brings only faith into this room. In this circle of confidence, the girl is quietly gripped and raised from her sleep unto death. The death-defying faith of the Father teaches that Jesus' reach is as deep as death. nearing an end. Something we get from these last two stories is how receptive Jesus is to faith. He took in stride the woman touching the fringe of his cloak from behind and blessed her faith. He knew she had embarked on a journey. And at last, it brought her to Jesus. Now she was free, as the Brahm and Sari were freed to change world history. When the father pled for Jesus to come and lay his hand on his daughter, expressing his faith in what Jesus can do, the gospel said, and Jesus got up and followed him. Now it is Jesus and not Matthew who got up and followed. Where faith comes, Jesus follows willingly, immediately. 
The woman touched the hem of his garment. The daughter's hand was taken by Jesus and rose. Jesus not only responds when faith comes to him, when the journey has met its true companion from the rest for the rest of the journey, but we see that touching Jesus with faith seems to heal deeply. You and I can take encouragement that when we approach Jesus in faith, spiritually in prayer, or through the sacrament, or both, he responds. And to the extent there's a sense of touching him, maybe even in a Celtic thin places kind of way, deep help can come and lovingly rock our world and usher us into a place of life and hope. Amazing faith. Our friend Bruner helps us apply these things to our journeys of faith. And I do draw to a close. The Gospels teach us again and again that the only touch that counts with Jesus is the touch that comes in need with expectancy. This is the spirit with which to come to church, to read the Bible, to come to the Christian group. It is needy expectancy, faith that puts us in touch with Jesus. Gospel faith is getting in touch with Christ by bringing one's major need to him and his expectation and with expectation that he can do miracles. I have to add as Carol Monroe taught me, when you pray for a miracle, you'll get a miracle. It may not be the miracle that you've prayed for. But may this message be a source of calm, a source of encouragement, of new perspectives, of blessing others when God calls, of deeper prayers, enduring and patient hope, of freedom and excitement in the journey. Amen. There was a lot in that sermon, and there was a lot more that could have been said. I realized at one point while I was you know, doing the thinking and uh, not the writing of the sermon, I realized that to, whenever one talks about faith and receiving, receiving something from God that seems to be as a result of having faith, that the question can arise, what about me I believed and what I prayed for or what I sought did not happen? And I decided not to get into that because that's almost like a whole other sermon. And I also didn't want to get into another similar set of circumstances that could come up when people might feel, well, I believed, I must not have believed enough. Something is wrong with my faith. And I've heard secondhand about that happening to people. And um, I didn't want to, again, that was something I realized was a legitimate possible reaction to the message. I just didn't have the time to really address it and deal with that. Again, another, another, um, another sermon for another day, perhaps, when I preach on faith and approaching God in prayer again. I'm grateful for your tuning in. I hope you did find the message encouraging and perspective-giving. And I look forward to bringing you a message next week for June... 
June 18th, June 18th, 2023. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.